Today's episode of The Wire Way Down in the Hole on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by World Central Kitchen. Their relief team is working across America to safely distribute individually packaged fresh meals in communities that need support. They're now serving tens of thousands of meals daily in some of our biggest cities like New York and L.A., and they're launching initiatives across America to deliver fresh, hot meals to hospitals and clinics fighting on the front lines while keeping local restaurants in business as well. You can directly help the heroes in hospitals and clinics who are fighting for us, and you can help keep your local restaurants alive. Go to theringer.com backslash WCK to donate, please. We're trying to raise $250,000. And if you have the means, it's an unbelievably great and useful cause that helps our hospital heroes, emergency workers, and local restaurants. Please give whatever you can. The money goes directly to the World Central Kitchen, and it's a charitable donation. Once again, that's theringer.com backslash WCK. You follow drugs, you get drug addicts and drug dealers. But you start to follow the money, and you don't know where the fuck it's going to take you. Welcome, everybody. I, I tell you, um, man, it, I've started a ton of new things before, but I have literally, I can't remember the last time I've been this excited about starting something because it plays into um, something I never thought I'd get paid to do, and that's watch fucking television. <laughs> uh, for those, <laughs> I'm serious. Uh, for those who don't know, um, if you didn't read that handy description that was right there before you clicked on this pod. I'm Jamel Hill, joined by Van Lathan, and this is way down in a hole. I know. Check this out, Van. We really made it. We're getting paid to fucking watch television. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, all the things that we pour into, that we talk about, that that we deal with, The Wire is almost like weed in that it's the one thing that if you go into a room and you got some, if you got some kind of commentary, some take on The Wire, everybody just huddles around you. You know what I mean? So it, it it's a pleasure of mine in terms of shows that not just I loved, because I've loved a lot of shows, right? It's a lot of shows I love. I love Homeboys from Outer Space. Love that show. But Wait, it's, time out. You love, uh, I got to stop right it. there. Home- loved it. Oh You're, my God. Loved man. it. Loved it. And by the way, it's one of those shows where I feel like if you didn't really love it, maybe there was a point you was taking yourself a little too seriously a little bit. I love Homeboys you know that, from You know that show set us back as a people, right? Yeah, but it just depends on where you look at it. You know what I mean? But well, I, the, the reason why I say is it's very few shows that you love as much as I love The Wire and uh, are actually important enough to warrant doing it what it is that we're doing right now. Uh, and I say that with, you know, no small amount of weight. It's a very important show. It's a very important look uh, into um, all the dynamics of what make a, a city and a depressed community, sort of what they are. And so now, in the past, in the future, looking at The Wire as a piece of art and also as a piece of social commentary, it's just going to always be worth doing. And, and that's what we're going to attempt to do here. But we're going to have some fun while we're doing it as well. The beauty of doing it this way is, you know, this was when The Wire came out, which, by the way, for everybody, uh, it, it was 2002. That's when The Wire debuted. Um there wasn't, you know how Game of Thrones became uh, this water cooler conversation where on social media, 
that's one of the few shows where you just had to watch that shit in real time to get in on the conversation and nobody gave a damn about spoiler alerts or anything like that. With The Wire, we kind of missed that. We didn't get that opportunity to have those conversations with each other about what this show was about, various episodes. So I feel, for me, this is filling that void about how we consume television um, in 2020. And so uh, we plan to go into every single episode of The Wire, every single one. Um, We're going to break down characters, you know, talk about our favorite scenes, just like really give it it's flowers that it never received because even now I I think the wire remains criminally underrated as a show. Yeah. To be honest with you, that's a little bit of an annoying aspect about how underrated the show is because when you start talking about the wire now, you, you, you talk a lot about, you talk to a lot of people who sing its praises and say how amazing it was. And you know that they're kind of Johnny come lately to the wire bandwagon. You know what I mean? They're a little bit, it's like, I look at The Wire kind of like I look at Lonzo Ball. One day Lonzo Ball is going to be an amazing point guard, right? I believe this. And when that happens, I'm going to be able to say I was in on Lonzo Ball since day one. I, I mean, was, but can you really say that about somebody who was drafted second overall? Though? Yeah, <laughs> no, mean, because people, look, I mean, The like Wire. was a second round pick, you know what I'm the, saying? But The Wire was on HBO. It was still surrounded by prestige television, yet people still tried to hate on it and acted like it wasn't what it was. And what I'm saying is that now I am in this moment. The Wire has won an MVP. It is an NBA champion. And I get to look back over on a career that I was with from the beginning, not with spite, but with love. So you like that 1980s Golden State Warriors fan, I guess. (laughs) A little bit less obnoxious than them, but yeah. (laughs) So is there any way that you can tell that somebody kind of just got in in the wire? Let's just say in the last, I don't know, five to seven years. Like, are there tales for the recently incarnated wire fans? Yeah, some of their takes. Like, if somebody goes too, too, too hard on season two, yep, can that's, te- that's the automatic tale. <laughs> that's, the, that's the automatic tale. What, you, what they say about season two determines what kind of Wire fan you are. Yeah, because you can tell that they're just regurgitating the stuff that they've heard if they can't look and appreciate season two for what it is. And I, I say all this in a tongue-in-cheek fashion, but it also is important to remember sort of the evolution of the show uh, as the pop culture titan that it's become. It started off um, sort of as a as an inside almost joke between people, right? An inside thing, very inside baseball. And then, you know, towards the end of its run, they used to actually have a promotion on the show, like when they, in the little HBO commercials that they would have, uh, where it would say that Newsweek would say that The Wire was the best show that's ever created. And I think that reputation has preceded the show since it's been off the air. But while it was on the air, it took us a while to even understand what it was that we were watching. So going back over the whole series with both of those perspectives, I feel really fortunate to be able to do that and to also be able to make new Wire fans. Yeah. Um, so let's just start at the at the beginning. Um, how did you get put onto The Wire? Brett Bulatech. Okay. Shout out to Brett Bulatek. Shout out to <laughs> Brett Bulatek. Now, I had watched The Wire um, prior to that. I had seen it prior to it, but I wasn't a loyal watcher until I had a roommate, uh, and it was a guy that I didn't think should be loving this show as much as, as he did that really kind of hooked me into it. 
Now, um, is that Brett was your roommate? Brett was my roommate. Brett okay. Buleton. Now, I, I don't mean to be judgmental, but I'm going to be start, you know, slightly stereotypical. Brett mm-hmm. sounds like he was white. Brett was white. Okay. And, not, and not just like white, like white, like he was trying to be down. Brett was uncompromisingly white. And that's kind of, but he was, he was my guy, my dog, you know what I mean? The whole nine, great dude. So I had seen the show. Initially, the show, I would just watch it because it came on after The Sopranos and I was into it. But it took somebody else um, that was into the show, no matter who he was, that was into the show that hard, that hung on every sentence and every scene to even make me realize how amazing it really was. Uh, so... Uh, I began really to be a serious, serious Wire fan then. And now it's something that I go back to all the time. I go back to the show. I used to sit down at at, at work and watch the little clips that they put on YouTube, like the little short ones. Um, so I, I love it now. It's kind of, it, it's a measuring stick of, of, of my creative juices now as an older guy. What about yourself? So for me, I got on the Wire late. I didn't get on the Wire until about 2006. Mm. 2005, 2006. That's when I got on it. And uh, because at the time when it came out in 02, I was living in Michigan. I was a beat writer covering Michigan State football and basketball for the Detroit Free Press. And so I spent, I worked a lot of weekends. And it's funny because I look at it. I was like, damn, in 02, what the hell was I watching? Why wasn't I watching The Wire? Because it seems like just off GP, that would have been a show I would have been interested in. And then I was like, damn, oh, now I I was definitely watching Sex in the City. And I was also watching um, The Sopranos a little bit. Um, I got I kind of got on that one a little bit later, too. Like, I didn't start to be a serious Sopranos fan until it was already, like, kind of established and I had to go back and watch some stuff. And then, um, you, know, you know, my appointment viewing show was Soul Food, the TV show on Showtime. Wow. That was my okay, shit. Okay, okay. So, like, wow. First of all, no, no disrespect to Soul Food. Shout out to Darren. Shout out to everybody like that. But looking back on it, you made an appointment viewing to watch Soul Food, the television show, while The Wire was just hanging out, ready for your eyes. Whoa! That's that's like an embarrassingly bad decision. Like, it was (laughs) me and my roommate at the time, my girl Sapphire. um, And before you ask, she's not a stripper. I was about to say, say, when her shift start? Okay. (laughs) Her name is Sapphire. And she has a sister named Topaz. I'm not even making this up. So, dog. Look, I, I feel your I feel your shame all dog. the way from here. That's, that's like, my dog. That's like naming your kid Jeeves. You might as well put the little uh, coat on them and make them go into the butler thing. That's crazy. But anyway, no disrespect <laughs> to her. I'm sure they're doing well. Yes, I, although I mean, this is not related to you know being a stripper. The funny thing was is that she uh, was a store manager. At Victoria's Secret. Yo, my, my underwear and bra game ain't never been as tight as it was hey. from 99 to 2005. <laughs> just, just throwing that out there. Um, but anyway, yeah, no, we would, we made uh, appointment viewing was watching Soul Food. Man, it was, I blame Boris Kojo. That's who I blame. That's, oh. who, that's who this is all on. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's really his fault. Mm. The abs, the, you know, all that. And it was just so different from the actual movie. Like, it was getting naked up in there. People yeah. was doing it, man. And yeah. Doing it a lot. Right, so it yeah. kind of blew my mind. Yeah, and had my attention. So anyway, uh, just increasingly, I just heard more and more people just talk about it, just word of mouth. They're like, oh, y'all got to get on the wire, the wire, the wire, the wire. And I was like, let me see what this shit is about. And I, I don't remember if it was the, the the third season or the fourth season. I feel like it was the fourth season because I think it was the kids. And I watched one episode and 
even though I didn't really understand what was going on, because The Wire is not one of those shows, you can't jump into that midstream. You know, it's just a lot of characters, a lot of things interconnect. And that way, it reminds me very much of Game of Thrones, where you you can't just pick up Game of Thrones on season five. Like, you got to start that shit at the beginning and then kind of run all the way through. So this is back with Netflix before it became the Netflix we know now, where you had to get the DVDs in the mail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Old school. Old school. Right. Yeah. And uh, when it had, you know, with Netflix originals and all that shit, that shit didn't even exist. Then. It was just like they were purely showing old shit. And that was that. Right. And so uh, they had the wire. They had the wire because I started these two series at the same time because I was late to both of them. I started 24 and the wire at the mm. same time. Right. And you want to talk about a lot of nights where I was legitimately up to like five or six in the morning. It was because of The Wire and 24. I I had to put in a rule, particularly with 24. I could not watch any 24 episode after like 9 p.m. Because adrenaline just get too high. You know, then I'm just out here like, let's go and get David Palmer. You know, it's just ridiculous. But (laughs) at any rate, so once I got on it, um, I'll admit, and we'll talk about this in in our next uh, episode when we break down the pilot episode of, of The Wire I thought that shit was slow. And I was like, man, I'm supposed to get through like four, five seasons of this? Oh, hell no. I watched a couple and I I didn't honestly think I was going to make it. I thought it was overrated. I was like, this shit seemed kind of overrated. And I don't know which episode like turned me. Like with Game of Thrones, I I think it was That's what I was going to ask you. When did it have you? When did the show have you? Yeah, I feel like um, maybe halfway through, um, it got me. And I started to kind of connect the dots. And the dialogue... Even from the beginning, I recognized the dialogue was just really above average compared to what you see on television. And so it was a bit of a slow road. But, you know, once I got in, I committed and I was standing at that mailbox like waiting like I had a check coming through uh. <laughs> waiting on those new Wire DVDs. So uh, that's how I kind of got indoctrinated into the Wire fan club. Yeah, I remember the 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 scene in the pilot that sort of, and it's a weird scene because it's not a scene that's going to go down. It's not a weird scene, but it's not a scene that's going to go down in anybody's wire pantheon. But, um, you know, D'Angelo's been released from jail uh, from, you know, he they they, they work their magic. Weebae's taking him to see Avon. And D'Angelo starts talking to Weebae. And I'm watching the scene and he's not saying anything that's crazy, but Weebae's getting annoyed. And he keeps talking and Weebae keeps getting annoyed and Weebae stops the car, pulls the car over and goes, what's the rule? What you mean, what's the rule? What's the rule? What's the rule? No talking in the car. To me, that scene, that scene told me that there was discipline, that there was structure, that there was all of these different edicts. There was a world and there was a world that you were about to get introduced to. There was a whole, I mean, we all heard the don't talk on the phone stuff when we're talking when it talks about a narcotics organization. We've heard the all of the different things. But these guys had rules and discipline, and this is why they were important. And that the first scene of the uh, um of of the show had kind of set that up too, being the fact that they were able to work what they worked in the court. These guys were important. And we were about to get to see their world. I didn't know anyone, anyone from Baltimore at that point. I hadn't spent very much time in Baltimore, maybe like a couple of days with an ex, so that doesn't count because when she's gone, you put that out your mind. Um, <laughs> so, but that's kind of the scene I was like, yo, it's something to this. And it, it was also not so far removed from 
the painful belly era, which we really have to discuss if we're going to discuss The Wire. A lot of these other movies were sort of, when you look at movies like Painful, you look at movies like Belly or anything else in that same vein, even to a degree, something like Fresh, they were stylized sort of uh, looks at drug trafficking, the drug trade and all of this with cool effects and uh, big time Hollywood soundtracks. And yeah, all they were of like that. music videos. I mean, Hype Williams did Belly. <laughs> did Belly, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm not taking anything away from those, but this show was none of that. It was antithetical to that. It was completely different. It was a real, not sanitized, not stylized, grimy, gritty, actual look at this. And I had never seen that done before on television. And to be honest with you, it hasn't been done since. So this show exists by itself on its own in a very specific and unique way. Um, and that's kind of what, that's the nutrition of it. That's what sticks in people's guts. Well, I, I think what you're thinking, of, what you're th- speaking to, and this is what was the hallmark of the series, is his authenticity. And, um, you know, I guess just to give people a, a little bit of background, um, of course, I'm sure, you know, most of the hardcore Wire fans know that this uh, series was created by David Simon. And David Simon was a former reporter who covered crime uh, for the Baltimore Sun. And because I think of him having that journalistic background and him having spent a year on the streets covering homicides and really getting into the intricacies of the police department, he was able to provide a multi-layered look at the drug trade through the eyes of every single person who the drug trade touches, um, be it uh, children, addicts, uh, drug dealers, cops, politicians, um, the educational system. He literally covered it from every angle. And when you think about those movies you mentioned, like Belly, which, uh, look, I don't give a fuck. Belly's trash. Belly's entertaining trash, but wow. that shit is trash. Wow. It's trash, yes. You're really going, it. you're really on one today. I'm not even going to yeah. lie. You're like, you're- Hey, homeboys you're, from you're, iSpace, no judgment. <laughs> oh, no judgment. I'm not judging. I'm not judging. Listen, you're, I'm- I, I appreciate Homeboys from Outer Space. Shut up. I love the show. Whatever. It was the shit was funny to me. But you just say you just say, say Belly was trash. I'm not saying that Belly's the Belly's the Godfather. Trash. Belly, come Belly's on, man. Belly's Africa's not trash. Far. Okay, that's trash. All right. Shout out to <laughs> Come T-Bus. on, man. Shout out to T-Bus. go to Africa. That, that, that's the big plane. That that was come on, man. So T-Boss was like, like, see what I'm saying? Now you like T-Boss was that was her first thing. That, that was trash. But Belly, Belly's it's too. I get what you, anyway. It's worth it for DMX because I DMX is in there acting. He ain't got a strip. You ain't gonna convince me that <laughs> DMX right. had a script. DMX right. was like, you know what? I'm gonna just be myself. That's yeah. the end of that. But anyway, mm-hmm. you know the thing is with with Belly and even New Jack City, even New Jack City, because New very Jack stylized. City tried to give you sure very stylized. Like, and then they, it's only a one way perspective. I mean, we thought Nino Brown was, you know cold-hearted, a gangster, had some funny moments. But, you know, he was kind of a character that was a caricature of what somebody imagined a drug dealer to be. And even from the judicial standpoint, yeah, you know, you're like, okay, shit ain't right and the criminals get away with it and all this other stuff and they ruin neighborhoods. But all of those were narratives we were super already familiar with. And it made it, made it seem like the drug war was just good guys and bad guys. And what I think you pick up from The Wire, if if nothing else, is that nobody's really a good guy. Right. Nobody's really a bad guy, but nobody's, you know, there's 
that it's a lot of gray area. And so it was so much different than I think a lot of the the entertainment we consumed around, you know, the drug culture. And I'll even say just coming me coming from Detroit, you know, I mean, my parents are recovering addicts. I, I knew a lot of addicts. I knew some low level drug dealers in the neighborhood. But even watching The Wire, even coming from the background I came from, and I don't know if you had this experience, I still felt felt like watching it like, damn, this is some shit I didn't even know or had never even considered as a ripple effect to all of this that's going on. Yeah, the show gives you the why. You know what I mean? And and I think that, you know, when you're coming away, when you're coming from uh like even when you watch New Jack City, right? When you watch New Jack City, uh he, he, well, what's his name says to uh Judd Nelson says to Ice T, he says, uh, you know, um crack isn't a black thing or a white thing. It's a death thing. Death doesn't give a shit about color. And, <laughs> right. Uh, and, and right, there might as well be somebody, this is not the dish news that shitty, but when, when he says that, there might as well be somebody right there that says, message. You know what I mean? Right. Like, like, the, like right. might as well be someone to let you know because that's a movie that's taking a, um, a look at the drug war through a very specific lens. This show gives you the why. Okay, so the police department is fucked up. Why? Because they're juking stats, because there are officers that care more about make making rank than actually going out there and doing effective police work. And in one of the seasons, Bunny Colvin talks about what it actually meant to be a police officer that was engaged in the community and walked a beat and had a relationship with people there and knew what their lives were about, right? Um, so okay, so the police department's fucked up. Okay, so the drug war is exploitive and bad. Uh, and crazy and out of control. Why? It shows you how things move in, who gets taken advantage of, who gets exploited, how they get exploited, and how that's just part of the game. Everything that happens in the wire, it's not for some for some evil guy behind uh, uh, like a a shadowy door or a shadowy curtain wanting to take advantage and destroy everything. It's just the economics and the realities of that particularly depressed community. You know what I mean? Uh, the school system's messed up. Okay. We know that the schools are failing. Why are they failing? The, the, the students are too seasoned. The teachers are too scared. All of those things get examined in The Wire. Even when it comes to season five, which is very controversial, and you look at it, you start to talk about where and you, you as a newspaper person should be able to you know speak to this a lot more than I can, how... Um, sort of becoming a big name inside of a newsroom and reporting accurate news where those two things intersect. And all of these things uh, don't exist on their own. There's, there's a symbiotic relationship between all of them, between how the media portrays the things going on between the cops and the dealers, how the cops and the dealers react to one another, and how the kids growing up in the neighborhood look at school and both their future out on the corners. And there was never a show, never anything that had looked at the real reasons why all of these things are the way they are. They came with prepackaged messages and prepackaged things that they want to say. And then they drew up good guys and bad guys to deliver those messages to us. And so uh, to me personally, just like when you look at the show, basically everything that you said, is like you come away with an actual understanding as to how things are the way they are. You know, even the dudes that, that used to come through the hood, right? By the time you born and you and you growing up, I'm growing up in South Baton Rouge, like I know not who to fuck with, but I don't really know why I shouldn't fuck with them. 
like the like the Omar folklore, right? How that gets like like how that gets handed down. Shout out to Mamuk or Leslie Tate or any of the other guys. Leslie, you know he had to be hard. His name was Leslie, and he was somebody to be <laughs> right. Fit. He was getting tried all the time. Right, right, right. Or any of those dudes that had a rep that lived around where I lived. You just kind of knew. But this kind of this show showed you how those legends got made, and really, ultimately, how they ended. Well, let's talk about um, when the the time when The Wire came out. So we're talking about 2002. And as I mentioned, um, Sopranos was a big hit. Sex and the City was a big hit. Um, HBO, I mean, they were making money hand over fist. And they make the decision after a year of convincing, because it took Ed Burns, who is David Simon's, um, you know, co-writer, buddy, that, you know, they're, I don't want to say Batman and Robin because, you know, that's one is above the other, but, you know, they were, <laughs> they were thick as thieves, they homeboys. So, right. um, so they approached, you know, HBO with this idea to do this show. And at the time, David Simon had a little bit of a credibility um, with the, with HBO in particular because of The Corner, mm. um, which was uh, another, it was an HBO minis- miniseries that came out in 2000 it was based off a book uh, that he'd done about drugs. And really, it was about addicts. I mean, that was kind of the core of what The Corner was about. He spent an entire, I think, a year on this particular drug corner, kind of seeing um, the impact uh, at the addiction level of what happens to people who get hooked on drugs. Uh, it, he focused in on this particular family um, yeah. and, and you know, just kind of told the story of, like, the damage that drugs can do from there. So... Oh, to you, this is sort of the backdrop of, of the wire become of coming to HBO. And the mood generally was a lot of people, HBO bought into it, but they bought into something, the more I read about this in preparation for this podcast, that they didn't quite understand. So, I mean, I think there's a conversation to be had uh, here, Van, about how at all in any way did the wire even fit into what HBO was doing like this just seems like such a a left turn for them given what already had been successful so the thing about the corner for me like there was something that HBO used to do at that time right uh it was called America Undercover do you remember this oh i do remember America Undercover right yeah. so HBO had America Undercover and it was a documentary series that they had, and they would they would do all kinds of different things. They had America Undercover, Pimps Up, Hose Down. They had, by the way, one of the greatest <laughs> documentaries of all time all right. is Pimps Up, Hose Down. There, that is that is the tip drill, BT uncut, right of HBO. Right, I'll never forget it. I can't remember who said it. I think it was Pimp and Ken. I never forget it. He's talking to a girl, Pippa Ken goes, Look, girl, you get with me, you either go hoe up or blow up, barbecue and mildew. I don't need you. I'll let the welfare feed you. I was like, Yo, what? He meant that shit. Hold I was up, like, I was like, I like, you either go hoe up or blow up, barbecue or mildew. I don't need you. I'll let the welfare feed you. I'm like, Yo, the game is on. So, uh, they had that. They had all kinds of different things to do, and they were supposed to be gritty, real looks at the underbelly of America, right? They had all kinds of different things. When the corner came out, I thought it was part of the American Undercover series. I didn't realize for a while that the corner was actually like a show, 
And so by, by the time I watched it, I wasn't in the right frame of mind. HBO was doing a lot of that type of stuff then. Like even going back, HBO had had a documentary about uh, gangbanging in Little Rock. HBO had a documentary. Oh, I remember that. The, yeah. All of these things, right? About the Memphis Three. The Memphis Three was covered at HBO. I think I was in middle school or early high school when they had done uh, the the whole Paradise Lost thing. I think that's what, what the name of it was. So the corner kind of got thrown out with the bathwater of that to me. And then when I finally did try to watch the corner, I couldn't relate because it 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 wasn't that many dimensions to it. It seemed like an incredibly depressing uh, journey into people's downward spiral. And if you're from where I'm from, you need a break from that. You know, it, it, it like it, it it can't be all that. Like if the wire was all about the worst parts of what bubbles went through, you know what I mean. If that was the whole thing, or just watching uh, Duquan descend into what he ended up becoming into, if that were the whole show, for me it would hit too close to home because I know too many people. Uh, that never were able to get a hold of their addiction and it made them do all kinds of things. So I think this, I think this was a more fully formed type of show. And, you know, HBO really kind of invented prestige television around that time. What I particularly remember in terms of The Wire was Sex and the City was a huge big deal. They did all kinds of huge stuff, had, you know, Sarah Michelle, uh, not Sarah Michelle Geller. Uh, what's your name? Sarah Jessica um, Parker? Sarah Jessica Parker. Sarah Jessica Parker from Honeymoon in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Sarah, Je- Sarah Jessica Parker and all of these people, they were, they were in the show. These were Kim Cattrall from Mannequin. And like, um, all of these I people. <laughs> you, I mean, you know that's Kim Cattrall from Big Trouble Little China, right? Like that's. Uh, mannequin. <laughs> I think it's, right. it might actually be Mannequin 2 on the move. I can't remember. But uh, so. These like these all of these shows were different. When the, whereas The Wire had no one. Like it took me watching all the way to through the mid to to realize that I recognized Wood Harris. And at that point, besides the guys that had been on Oz, um, which was also a show that HBO didn't really put a whole bunch of like HBO wasn't like watch Oz, watch Oz, watch Oz. Oz was kind of like the bastard son of HBO. So I recognized those guys, but I didn't recognize anybody else or even what the show was trying to accomplish. So that's why early on, if you were part of the Wire thing, you you felt like you were part of a secret. But I will say this. I feel like even more so than The Sopranos, The Wire changed the landscape and the dynamic of the programming on HBO. I I think it brought uh, a new audience to, to, to HBO and I think it it gave HBO a little street cred that they certainly didn't have before uh, the show was on the air. You could see the strategy that HBO was trying to execute. They had their kind of home run hitters because they had The Sopranos and they had Sex in the City. And I think off of that, they were trying to do maybe more meaningful TV. I mean, we I mean, we see it in the entertainment industry all the time is that you kind of you have a lot of shit that blows up and makes somebody successful or famous or or whatever. And then they get to do the things that are passion projects. Then they get to do the things that like actually mean something from a wider, um, you know, kind of societal view. Now, I ne- I've never seen one episode of Oz. Knowing because you have, you, I feel like you can obviously speak to this, um, you know, very impactfully. But seeing, the, uh, seeing Oz and The Corner, what was it in your mind that made... David Simon, 
the right person to be able to pull off something like this? Well, you know, Oz was just a crazy ass show. Oz was just <laughs> like, like I, I can't, Oz is like, like Oz was like a crazy show. Like Oz was like, it was, it, you know, it, it just was a, 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 a punishing look at uh, the prison system, which was incredibly dramatized, if you ask me. Like, it, 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 it they, they, there's no way that it's actually, I've never not been inside, but I don't think that it was the way that it was in Oz. They got all the politics and stuff like that. I know a lot of guys that have talked about, that have been inside, that talked about it, but Oz was just a crazy show. And it was a show that at that time in my life had a lot of shock value to it, right? So the shock value of Oz was just looking at me, oh my God, did you see this? Did you see this? Did you see that? Did you see this? Um, the corner was exactly the opposite of that. There was no, there was no shock value to the corner. It was just despair. But as far as like Simon and Burns, you know, uh, Burns had it was a was a narco. He was a, a, a narcotics and homicide detective out there in Baltimore. This really is their magnum opus. This was them. Uh, this is like rapper first album get rich or die trying situation you know every time you get somebody in there on that first album be it 50 be it jay be it whoever that first album is where they really give you what they think about life what they really think about the world what they really think um uh, about the, the situations that made them and this is what that is for for simon and burns they have a show on hbo right now the plot against america which i love okay i, I think it's a good show um but it, it, it's not approaching the same level of of intimate and intricate detail as this show, and you can tell because they're a little further away removed from it. You know, it's based on source material, and they're doing their best to adapt it. But uh, with this one, they really want to get a lot out, a lot out to the point to where I bet, of course, it was hard to make because it was probably alienating. Because you probably have TV execs saying, "Who the hell gives a shit about this?" Like, nobody fucking cares while they're going, you don't care that Baltimore police are juking the stats? Who fucking cares? Give me some cops and robbers. 55 minutes, we roll it up, we go home. We make a million dollars. So when you look back at this show, it, it, it's different than even those other two shows because it's their fully formed baby. Um, and and you'd have had to bend boots on the ground to, to, to have made it the way that they did. Well, you, you just mentioned something that was really, really important and the cops and robbers thing. So people also have to understand that this is this O2, this during the height of like some law and order. Like law and order was like, the sh I mean, law and order has been on TV like for 500,000 fucking years, right? Yeah. But it was really at a particular height then and just, there was this thinking and idea that crime shows, especially crime shows related to the, to the police, they were, they only belonged on CBS at 10 p.m. Okay, or mm -hmm. NBC or whatever. Like, they didn't belong on a network, you know, like HBO. And so there was a lot of risk involved, even though this series is about much more than just the police. The fact is that it was put in the bucket of being a police series. And mm -hmm. so it was up against just this perception of what what cop shows were supposed to be, because I think that's how a lot of people saw it. was really interesting. So I went back just for shits and gigs as they say, to uh, and looked at what people were writing about The Wire after seeing the first episode. And you could tell, and again, I know we'll get to um, breaking down the very first episode um, in our next episode of this podcast, but it's just interesting to see just how narrowly people saw 
what The Wire was supposed to be about. Um, it was a reviewer for The Hollywood Reporter who wrote, The Wire presents characters largely devoid of conscience or compassion who are guided mainly by ambition or expedience. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Nobody in their right fucking mind would ever describe The Wire that way, mm -hmm. but it had been, you know, kind of uh, put into a box of being like, oh, this is a cop show. It's like all these characters, like... Like you said, like, why the fuck should anybody care about, um, you know, this particular series? Um, you know, with all, with all that being said, I think one of the brilliant things that was done, and it could have been done just out of ignorance and not knowing better, or just, or just fucking willful, willful stubbornness. I think really what made this show hit just so much differently than a quote cop show is the fact they used Baltimore as a character and real fucking people that David Simon and Ed Burns dealt with were actually actors on the show. Yeah. It was the casting that really kind of brought this home and made it have that texture and authenticity that was so much more different than what you were used to getting. Yeah. The only time I had seen Baltimore on television before was Rock. Do you remember Rock? With Charles oh, yeah. S. Dutton? So Rock took place in Baltimore, but it had really nothing to do... Damn, I totally forgot that it took place in Baltimore. Yeah. Right. It had really nothing to do with Baltimore. Um, that same girl that I was telling you about, she had gone to medical school at Johns Hopkins. And so that's why I had gone to Baltimore. And when I went there, I was surprised at, because uh, Johns Hopkins is not in the greatest area, like the, the area surrounded. I was surprised to have seen that that was going on in that city. And it, for the show to be set there and for things to have, had the feeling of it to have been so far gone there, it really, in a way, opened my eyes for one of the first times to the number of American cities that were suffering and ones that weren't New Orleans or Compton or uh, Gary or places like, or Detroit or places yeah. like that. that the people, places you hear about all the time. The places that you hear about all the time. I'm sure if you knew what you were supposed to know, you'd have known kind of what was going on um, in, in East and West Baltimore, but you kind of didn't, right? There was really not a hip-hop scene coming out of there. There was, a, there was no one rapper to come out there and tell you how rough things were in Baltimore. The big music group from Baltimore was Drew Hill. And you weren't going to get... Damn, Drew Hill was from Baltimore. <laughs> Holy shit, yeah. I didn't know that. You never, okay. you never, you ever hear Cisco talking? And Cisco's like, we got to get these records out to you. And this is what we got to do. And then, you know, Drew Hill is like, uh, I think they they named it Drew Hill for Druid Hill, which is a place in Baltimore. Right. So, um, so, and because we didn't get that, I was unaware. So going into it, knowing that and, and making the city uh, a character in the show, like you say, uh, it was kind of the little thing that put it over the top. Not only was it, if it would have been another situation that happened, and I'm not saying that any area doesn't deserve to have the story told because obviously they do, but had it come from Compton, had it come from New York, had it come from any of these other places, um, it would have had to do a little bit more to be unique, but it was inherently unique because it was from a place that we didn't really talk about all that much, but a place that we now know, uh, you know, has dealt with a lot of the same things that other places like Baton Rouge, New Orleans um, have kind of, have kind of gone through as well. Now, when you first started watching The Wire, did you consider it a black show? Because I that, I don't know if I if I did, and I don't know if that was just because the cops had, even though they were obviously black cops, but I don't think I looked at it immediately as a black show. Did you? 
No, I'll tell you why. The show doesn't have what I consider to be a Black identity. And The the Wire is de- definitely has to do uh, with um, issues of socioeconomics, but very rarely in the show is race a big deal. Like it, like the cops, no matter what happens, they got each other's back. So when you in when when the cops go to the projects, when Press Belusky beats that kid up, right? Cracks him with the bottle, Daniels covers it. So it, it's like, it's like the there's blue against you, or blue against them. Um, there are a couple of times in the show where like race kind of becomes a thing more so when Carcetti starts running for mayor and you start seeing how the racial politics of the show play out. But even when they do it, it's very matter of factly. It's not, no one ever bellyaches about it. Uh, No one ever kind of makes a stand based upon the fact that this is happening to black people, that black people are being affected by. It's kind of just a thing. And a lot of the stuff that I watch uh, a lot of how I judge whether or not it's black or not is based upon the identity of it. Like something like the color purple, right? That's directed by a white dude. But the identity of that based upon the source material written by Alice Walker and also because of what's happening in the story. It's just, it's black all the way through. It's black from top to bottom. The Wire, even though there are all kinds of black characters, it takes place primarily in black areas it just doesn't have that same feel to me. Not, not like it, I don't look at it as being black. It is black, but the identity of it isn't to me specifically black. Yeah, that's interesting that you make that distinction because has somebody come to you and said, all right, it's going to be the show and there's like, you know, more than 70% of the people cast in this show are black. You'd be like, oh shit, this is a black show. Mm-hmm. But it felt like a show that more or less kind of traced how a specific problem has a disproportionate effect on black people, which is a different kind of outlook as opposed to making it a black show because they certainly it's, it's interesting. And and I don't know, this is kind of genius to pull off. Very few shows have done it. Um, Very few people do it when even speaking about race, it's a difference between showing a problem that disproportionately affects a certain community and making that community the face of the problem. You know right. what I'm saying? Is that a lot of people, I mean, much in this country, like people have made people of color the face of the drug problem. Like it's mm-hmm. our fault. We the ones peddling it. We the addicts. It's only on us. But this was a show that looked at the wider scope of the problem that showed just how a lot of people in different corners of city government, um, just a lot of different types of people are able to benefit and to perpetuate this huge societal problem. So I feel like in retrospect and talking to people that they kind of look at it like a black show, but, and I don't think it's an insult not to consider it a black show. Cause I certainly don't. Um, and I thought of, of asking you that because I should have asked you this when you first said who turned you on to it, but why the fuck was your roommate watching this show? Ah, uh, man, Brett, like Brett gets into it. Like I said, he was a cinephile like I am, or like I'd like to think myself, uh, you know, not on a Tarantino level of cinephile, but, um, and he just loves a good story. And th- that's the thing about The Wire, it's a good story. Like the 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 show kind of, uh, it, it everybody's so human, right? So, you know, when you watch The Wire, 
there are racial dynamics that are going on. I don't mean to say that the show isn't specifically about an area where the people are predominantly Black, right? They are. But everyone seems to be making their best way in that situation. People are just trying to go and get what they can get. Everybody in uh, in the show, uh, to a degree, is running some kind of game. And I think that's a uniter amongst people. You know what I mean? Everyone knows what it's like to have a game run on them. Everyone knows what it's like to try to run a game. So in The Wire, the cops are running a game, right? They're running a game not just on the people on the corner, uh, they're running the game on their bosses. They're running the game on the general public, trying to act like they're effective. That's essentially what McNulty um, and, and Lester end up fighting against is the police game. And obviously the guys on the corner are running the game, but even amongst the guys on the corner, it's not like you cast someone in the wire as, uh, even though they have something they call, that they call number one male. We all know what number one male means, okay? As far as an offender in Baltimore. But even amongst those guys, there is a large sort of spectrum of how decent they are. There's a spectrum that goes all the way from D'Angelo Barksdale, who was probably the most decent of all the guys that were out there doing that, all the way to Marlo. And in the middle, you got Avon. In the middle, you got Bodie. Then you go all the way to even the Weebay, who's a killer. But Chris is worse than Weebay. So when you do that much stuff, it starts to humanize in the, char- the characters in a way uh, that pulls the racial dynamic out of it a little bit. You can identify with everyone to uh, a, a, a small degree. Like, Brett might not be able to look at LeBron James or even at any of these other guys and look at them as anything other uh, than the mythic view of black males that society sometimes has, right? Because he can't see anything other than, oh, these guys are great big guys who can leave and do that. But you can look inside of some of these characters and see the humanity in them. You get a better, a more, or a realer view of them. Now, we should treat everyone like human. We should try to understand everybody's story. But The Wire gives you the story. So I think that kind of takes that element out of it a little bit more than some of the other things that I've seen. It still profoundly affects me as a Black man to watch the show because I'm reminded of what so many people in so many areas all around the country are going through. And it makes me want to mobilize to help. I look at Cuddy and I look at the rest of the people and I'm going, yo, man, I want to find the Cuddies in these different neighborhoods and I want to empower them. Um, But the show itself exists on a spectrum where just a lot of the other racial issues that we see in similar types of content just don't seem to exist in The Wire. Now, after watching The Wire, though, did it make you feel more optimistic or pessimistic about what's happening in neighborhoods, the drug problems, like all the, all the shit, the educational stuff, political systems, all the things that become themes in The Wire. Because I'll be honest, I mean, it, this wasn't the show's necessarily intent. The show's intent was to paint you a, a very stark picture of what is reality. But after watching The Wire, I'll be honest, I was thinking like, Man, we ain't gonna make it. Like that was that was, that was literally what I was thinking. I was like, Shh, I don't know, man. Like we, we gonna make it. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if you had that feeling too or not. I, I look. I had a similar feeling, but I think I had a different view of it. What's going on in West Baltimore is going to continue to go on. Okay. Um, 
until people who actually care about what's actually going on do what everyone in The Wire says, which is step up. And throughout the series, you always hear people say, you got to step up. When Naaman's mom was talking to him about the fact that Weebae was in jail and Naaman had to carry the house, she says, you got to step up. When 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 uh, McNulty and them go talk to the woman who saw Bird get, uh, I actually think it was Bunk and them, when Bunk and them go talk to the woman and, and she goes, uh, you know, it, things like this going to keep happening in the neighborhood unless somebody steps up. In order to cure what's going on in West Baltimore and other places like that, we're not going to be able to use the conventional means. We as a community are going to have to step up and do what some of the guys in the show were doing, kind of do what Cuddy was doing, kind of do what uh, what Bunny Colvin was doing with Naaman. We're gonna have, it's going to have to be a personal thing. The system will not save anybody. That's yeah. working the way it's, it's supposed to have been working. He brought up um, Naaman's mom, Sandy McCree, who I had the pleasure of meeting in in real life. And, um, you know, let's just say I can't wait to break her character down. I can't wait. Um, And and along those same lines, I mean, is there any particular season? I mean, they're all, to me, um, they're all great seasons in their own right. But um, with the exception of season five, but I'm going to save it to season five before I start my bitching about season (laughs) five. Um, Mm -hmm. But is there any particular episode, season, or character you are most looking forward to breaking down in this podcast? Um, Bodie. Bodie hurts. Bodie hurts me, man. Did, Bo- did like, Bodie hurt you more than Wallace? Bodie hurt me way more than Wallace. Mm. The reason why Bodie hurt me way more than Wallace is because the guys like Wallace who were in over their head in it, they, wherever you from, they go early. The guys that really you just wish somebody would have been around to kind of pull them to the side and be like, yo, this ain't for you. What happened... What happened to Wallace would have happened to Naaman had Naaman been uh, born in different situations, right? Naaman and Wallace kind of saying, Yeah, if his dad wasn't Weebay, basically. If his dad wasn't Weebay, um, it would the same thing would have happened. Wallace just Wallace wasn't born for it. Shout out to Michael B. Jordan. He got nice shoulders, but he wasn't born <laughs> for the game in Baltimore. He had nice shoulders then, and them straight backs was looking fucked up. Then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Bodie, Bodie hurts because. I know so many dudes who bought in. So many dudes who thought that they were some smart-ass pawns. So many guys that believed that there was some sort of uh, light at the end of the tunnel standing out in them corners. And just it's just not. It, it, there never is for most of them, unless you leave. And when, when Bodie, Bodie looks at McNulty and he goes, I feel old. And he's probably at that time about 23, maybe younger. Yeah, I was like, I think he might be younger when you think about when he started or yeah. the age we guessed him to be when yeah. uh, season one kicked off. So, and like when he says, I feel old, I just think about so many people out there in those communities, so many young men and women that's Asian in dog years like that. And uh, that's real. And that guy is the guy that I know. Yeah. I know the guy that like, I know the guy that like, you got woken up to, yo, this happened to this dude and this went down and you was thinking, and when you look at the rap sheet, it's hard for you to explain to somebody that he was kind of a good dude. That Nah, fuck that. He wasn't kind of a good dude. He was a good dude. It's just 
He believed in something that wasn't going to work for him. So when I look at the characters and I will look at the one moment in The Wire that like, uh, that really pains me more than anything else is actually Bodhi's death because Bodhi went out believing. He went out on that shit. Like he went out, like they're trying to get him to run off the corner. Now I'm not running. I've been taught that you stand here, you don't take no shit for nobody. So if that don't work, I'm dead. That's the character for me. What about you? Who like? Yeah, like, eh. I would say of all the characters um, that I would say I knew more intimately just based off my own life experience, it would be Bodie for sure, Bodie Poot, and probably Dookie. Those mm. are those are the those are the three ones. Um, you know what happened to Dookie was just so realistic to me, and maybe it's just because of my own parents' background. And um, their struggles with uh, addiction that they've had and seeing the people, the addicts that were around them and getting to know some of them is, you know, seeing how um, they got conditioned into that lifestyle. I mean, that's not how my mother or my father began using drugs, but a lot of the people they knew, it was kind of like that. You know, uh, Dookie had a family full of addicts and he was left to fend on his own. And I knew a lot of people who were like that who uh, had to fend on their own based off, they didn't do anything but be born. And they got born, into some, they got born into some bullshit. And so, yeah. um, and, and that was, by the way, that was the thing that I, I among the many long list of things I appreciated uh, about The Wire is that it showed in the most realistic way maybe I've ever seen that if you just don't, if you just basically roll craps in the genetic or neighborhood you know, fucking crap this game. You born, born in the wrong zip code. You born to the wrong parents. Like, you fuck from the beginning. And there's literally yeah. nothing you can almost do about it. Because um, yeah. that's just the way, you know, kind of society is, is is set up. So, but those three characters, definitely. Because, like, Poot, even though Poot had a big presence, like, early on. And then, you know, he kind of drifted off. And then mm-hmm. when he came back, you know, um, it, uh, it wasn't the same as Bodie, you know, kept trying to tell him. But he was somebody who kind of just kind of was going with the current. I couldn't yeah. tell if he was he he wasn't as fully invested. Like Bodie was a soldier. He was invested. He believed the hype. He mm-hmm. you know, that's why him and McNulty had they were much more alike than they were different. Like they were basically mm-hmm. the same dude, but just on opposite sides of this quote unquote war. And yeah. You know, Pooh just, he was collateral damage. And he went along with Bodie and, you know, we all know what happened to Wallace, which obviously we'll get into um, later on as this podcast progresses. And he just got got kind of caught up in in all of it. He wasn't trying to necessarily be, he was, in, in a way, he was kind of like a, um, uh, the middle manager who has like no future or no trajectory. It's like, he ain't really mm-hmm. trying to be a boss, but he right. ain't trying to be, he ain't trying to be Wallace either. So it's right, just like, right. he just perfectly caught it, you know, kind of caught up in the middle. So, um, you know, probably those two. And then I would say of the, all the seasons, the season I most look forward to us breaking down is season two. I was one of those people who shitted yeah. on season two. Yeah. And it took a second rewatch for me to then say, one, season two was damn good. It's just that, you know what season two is? Season two is, like in Michael Jackson's discography, season two is bad, right? Because mm. people people forget that, like, how hard it is. Michael Jackson starts, you know, off the wall. Huge success. Ridiculous. Like, maybe one of the best, maybe the best R&B album of all time. Whatever. In that category. Then he follows us up with Thriller. And then people had the nerve to be disappointed by bad. 
They were disappointed right. of bad. And you right. go back and look at the track list of bad, bad has motherfucking hits. Some right. jams. But people don't right. look at it as being, oh, it ain't thriller, so it ain't shit. So it's kind of like season two gets that treatment because it ain't season one, it ain't the kids, and it's not the culmination of the Barksdale fall in season three. So it gets mm-hmm. played all the fucking time. So I look forward to us breaking down season two. Yeah. Season it's like season two, like season two ended up getting kind of um like it, it was a like shock. Like if you jump in like cold water, right? You jump in cold water. If you're at the beach somewhere or anything like that, when you first jump, you're shocked because you see all of these new white faces. It's not what you were used to. You're watching the show. It's taking place at the port. You had just gotten used to life in West Baltimore. And then they flipped it on you. Now, no other show really does that, right? Like, The Sopranos never did that. The Sopranos never, like, The Sopranos didn't do all of this stuff in Jersey and then take and then have Tony move to L.A. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, it... it it took you a while to get to it. When I looked back on it, so many of my favorite scenes and so many um, really important things are established in season two. And everything that was going on at the port uh, was just as worthy for delving into it. Think about it. Think about where the wire was um, in terms of being ahead of the curve on discussing human trafficking. Human trafficking, which is something yeah. that, you know, we, we, we've we all heard about and had known that's going on, but like, it's a huge hot-button issue for the last five, ten years. They're talking about human trafficking, its ramifications, its implications, how people do it, how the girls are treated, how they die, what happens to them after, you know what I mean? Um, and how they're treated, like, so, uh, I guess, cavalierly and, like, inhumanly, or I don't know if, you know if that, that's the right word, I'm... On one right now, but um, uh, and that's way before sort of anyone else is dealing with that. So you know, it it, it was a necessary and not just necessary. Season two is fucking good, dog. Like it's really not whack. Season two is good. You go back, you watch season two. I'm telling you, you'll be happy with it. Season two is good, man. Yeah, no, it, it is. And the the thing about season two, it, it, here's the other thing that season two has going against it is that. You know, like if if I, most people, when I ask them their favorite season of The Wire, they always say usually either three or four. Like it seems mm-hmm. to be the most dominant answer seem to be three or four. Right. So if season three or four is like LeBron or whatever, and I don't know, season one, maybe Steph, whatever. It feels like season two is season two gets gets uh, rebounds and plays good defense. And it's like, mm. but that's a very underrated. You need that though. It's the glue right. season. It ties right. it all. It ties the drug trade all together. That's mm. the beauty of season two, and helps you understand that, like, yo, I mean, like, uh, uh, Mino Brown said, you know, it's like we ain't got no planes coming in here. Like, I mean, it's just it totally answers that no, question. But you're, but you're right though, and when the and and that is the best part of New Jack City because that's the only time. That New Jack City, it's not the best part of New Jack City. That's too far. That is the most uh, poignant part of New Jack City. Because when Nino's up there, that's the first time that the that the movie threatens to go beyond the surface level, right? When he says, like, ain't no Uzis made in Harlem. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, like we ain't got no plays, no boats, and stuff like that. He, that's the first time that he's starting to get to a whole big system and just telling people, yeah, I'm just a part of this. That promise about Neil Brown on this on the stand right there is what the wire actually is. 
Yeah. That's what it is. It's that system. And the, you can't do that without the port. Joe's getting his stuff from the Greeks. Well, how the Greeks getting their stuff? So it was necessary and it was good, man. Great characters. I like, like, uh, like I like the Sabakas. You know, I hated the character of I hated Nikki, but that's okay. <laughs> like, no, was it Nikki? No, no, not Nikki. Was no, the, no the, his the brother. Kid? Not, no, his not nah, his uh, uh, Sabaka's son. Oh, cousins. Um, well, yeah, yeah Sabaka, the, the the little dude. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotta remember his name like off the top, but like that's the he's way up there for worst character in the history of the wire team. <laughs> Ziggy. 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 It's Ziggy. It's Ziggy. Ziggy. Ziggy with the with the big, you know, with the blessing. Ziggy, uh, Ziggy is way up there. Worst characters in the wire for me. Ziggy is 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 the guy. I just I cannot stand that character. But other than that, I love that season. Yeah, I know. I think it 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 definitely rewatches um, you know, a lot better. We were uh, talking a little bit earlier about, you know, race. And I agree with you. I, neither one of us are saying like The Wire wasn't about race. It very much was about race, it, but it just was not necessarily a black show. Here's what I appreciate about how they handled race is they they handled race in a way that it was subtle. It was very subtle, but the message was louder, if that mm-hmm. makes any sense. Like it was subtle and loud at the same time. It wasn't a thing. Um, and this is no judgment or criticism of Spike Lee, but like when Spike Lee talks about race, it's about race. Like it's yeah. like in your face. This is what yeah. it is. They did it in a, a much more subtle way. And I think maybe that's why, despite the fact they're exposing some uh, inequality and um, system inequity, that you have a lot of white people who watch The Wire and don't, and there's not that typical kind of defensiveness that arises out of a situation because we're pointing at systems and not necessarily, I'm not saying that the people aren't benefiting from those systems and that there's mm-hmm. not privilege, but they're pointing the eye at, at the systems in such a way that even people who, quote, don't see color understand that this is very much about race and color and those kind of things. Yeah, I mean, what they're telling you is like nobody's system in there is really working. The system isn't working for the people in West Baltimore. The system isn't working for the police officers. The system isn't working uh, in City Hall. Everybody. Remember the scene where the the, the, the the teachers, the schools are $54 million in debt? The system isn't working for anyone. But it does let you know that the system isn't working for anybody, but there is someone who's losing because the system isn't, isn't working. The police aren't necessarily losing because the system isn't working. The politicians aren't necessarily losing uh, because the system isn't working. But what The Wire does drive home is that the black and brown people of West Baltimore are the ones who are losing because the systems aren't working. And that's not just the people that are in the game. That's the people that are outside of the game. That's the people that had, like, several times in The Wire, cops kick in mothers' homes mother's doors to get at sons. Well, Lex's mom was, was mourning the fact that he was dead, had candles up on the mantle, right? When, 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 uh, when Chris and Snoop killed Lex, cops take her door anyway, looking for somebody who is dead. So she's dealing with the fact that her son is dead and the fact that the cops are kicking in her door and harassing her, interrupting her grieving process a grieving process she probably knew was coming. So all of those things are incredibly unique to what it must be like to be a black mother in Baltimore. 
So it is about totally, totally about race. It is about blackness, but at the same time, it's not. And that's yeah. the really one of the, one of the beautiful parts of the show. Now, as much as um, you know, we are in reverence of this show and appreciative for what has been done. Again, I think it's important that we we keep people in the moment of of, of what this show felt like to people um, during the time. And the reason why I call this show criminally underrated still is because. The Wire, uh, as brilliant as it was, it was not brilliance that was recognized by a lot of people. The ratings for HBO show were just okay. And um, people also have to know and understand that every, every year this show was was about to be, be canceled. And in fact, part of the reason, and I, I heard this from a, a Hollywood insider friend of mine who used to work at HBO. And I, I was telling him about the fact that we were doing this podcast. And he said, well, you know, I don't know if you know this, but they were ready to kind of be done with it after season one. And there was some convincing and, you know, some other things that happened, uh, not to make the story like too convoluted, but in part, the reason why we got the docs is because there was a concern in those executive decision-making circles that the show was too black. And so yeah. they brought in more white characters, obviously in season two, where they expanded it out and, and made, um, kind of filled out the world of The Wire, if you will. But every, I mean, this, this show, and then after season three, it was supposedly done. Then after season four, it was supposedly done. Like, it was on, it It would probably be doing it um, to an injustice by saying the show was on life support. This show basically started on life support and never got off of it. And in retrospect, it's really amazing to think about when you consider that routinely when you ask people What's the best television series of all time? It's, it, it, people really going to probably say one of three things. It's either The Wire, they're going to say Breaking Bad, or they're going to say Game of Thrones. One of those three. And the fact that it is constantly in the conversation, if not leading the conversation for best show ever, and that it was always on its deathbed, says so much about not just Hollywood, and it really it's not just the HBO problem, but it says so much about how sometimes timing is everything. And if mm -hmm. there's a part of me, and I don't know if this thought has ever run through your mind, like, have you ever wished that The Wire could come out now? Because I think now this shit would be a smash success now. Or am I just being too naive by thinking that people have a better appetite for it now than they did then? No, I think that prestige television is a thing now. And so every show flirts with that. Like, it's hard to, it's, it's hard to find a show import, like, that's unimportant enough not to watch. Like, I was watching Devs last night, right? Devs, I like Devs. Like, Devs comes on FX. Devs got all these people. I'm like, I got to watch Devs. The, the the new show coming out with uh with uh, with Andre 3000 in it. And, um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Amazon yeah, show, like, I think. Yeah. The, I, something like, I'm like, I got to watch that. Like, so now it's, 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 you're hard-pressed to find a show that's unimportant enough that where you can go, I'm going to skip that one. That wasn't the case then. You know what I mean? The case then is like people were getting hooked into shows for all... Uh, for for very few reasons, so I think now if the wire came out, it might be received differently. Um, I also think though that it's a testament to what you can do with your show if the storytelling is the main thing, if the storytelling is the meat. When you look at a show like The Sopranos, right? I think that The Sopranos is a better show than Breaking Bad, right? I think that The Sopranos overall is like. To me, it's The Wires and The Sopranos. To the Wire and The Sopranos to me. But so much of The Sopranos and the brilliance of the show is directly tethered 
to what a fantastic actor James Gandolfini is or was. Uh, God rest the dead. What it, so it's a tour de force in a lot of ways, a one-man wrecking crew of a show about this singular, amazing television performance, right? Um, Breaking Bad falls into there a little bit as well. Not quite as much as The Sopranos, but kind of the same thing. The Wire is all about the story. It's all about what's going on. And I think that people are more appreciative of that now because we're taking so many different storytelling um, uh, uh, chances with the TV shows that come out now. But I think it, it, it really happened the way it was supposed to happen. By the way, something about something that you said struck me about like the HBO ratings. How do we know what shows are rated in HBO? Like, it's basically HBO self-reports this? Yeah, because, I mean, they're not... Yeah. I, don't, I, I wonder if it's like a Netflix deal. Because, like, Netflix, they only tell you when something does tremendous, right? right? So I don't trust HBO. HBO, like, <laughs> I, like, I'll be honest with you. Shout out to everybody over at HBO, but that's kind of like what's coming out of China right now. You know what I mean? Like, how can we really know? Like, you don't what's believe happening? the numbers. I don't believe the numbers. <laughs> it's, um, yo, it's like, it's three, two people got a cough. No, I think it probably is more. But... uh but like, you know, for me, I'm glad that HBO as a network had the balls to stick with the show because what they really created more than anything was loyalty. I'm loyal to the network now because they stayed loyal to The Wire. So, um, and, you, and you can choose to believe these numbers are not banned, all right? Uh, since you have now cast great, um, doubt and scrutiny over HBO's numbers. So I'll give you some numbers uh, so we can understand in full context just how much of a fledgling show The Wire was. Sopranos averaged 18 and a half million viewers a show. That's a lot of fucking viewers. Every show? 18. Oh, I'm sorry. Across a season. 18, yep, oh, across the season, oh yeah. I was about to say every show. God damn. Average, average across the season, 18 and a half million. Um, Game of Thrones, which obviously, you know, 31. Yeah. Oh, now, Game of Thrones had 31 million viewers per show. 31 million. That's Game of Thrones. Wow. Wow. The Wire, 4.4 4 million viewers per show. 4 million. I mean, yeah. I mean, look, it wasn't, it, 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 it wasn't, it wasn't Jay-Z. It was Nas. You know what I mean? It was right. it, it it wasn't the dude that even though I know Jehovah loves uh the wire, he loves the wire, but it wasn't the the going number one, it was the, the I'm coming at you with substance over and over and over again, but you gotta know me to love me. That's kind of what the show was. Shout out to Nas too, who's a big huge rapper, but you gotta know me to love me is kind of what is is what the show was. And I think that over time it maintained its purity that way. You know what I'm saying? The wire never bleached its hair. The Wire never brought in Ariana Grande to sing a hook. The Wire never went pop. No it features. To them sh- no features. It stayed to them streets the whole time, and, and that's why we love it. Yeah, that's why a, a producer told me this a long time ago. He said, uh, you know, he was talking about the type of TV he liked to produce, and he said, I don't want to, I mean, I thought this was kind of a shameful indictment on him to some degree, but he said, look, would you rather be McDonald's a billion served, or would you rather be the cute little bistro that everybody loves, um, but only a small collection of people actually go to. But everybody who fucks with it, fucks with it. But mm. the thing is, you'll never be a billion serve. So which one of those would you rather be? I'd rather be the bistro, but that's just me. <laughs> me, perso- me personally? I'm, I don't know, man. I like franchises. <laughs> no, I mean, look, it's, it's hard. Like, I like, I, like I, McDonald's I really- don't live. 
I really want to say right now that y'all would love to be the bistro. I want a but couple like, sequels. Let's be real. I want a couple sequels, man. I want, yeah. you know what I mean? But we but are trying I, to get rich. <laughs> but I I I can appreciate though. That that's what makes me even more appreciative to people who stick to the story. And to be honest with you, all your great art, all your really life-changing, culture-changing, culture-shifting. I mean, we're going to talk about Omar's character a little bit later, but Omar being who he was and being openly gay is a game-changer. Is a game-changer. And it's an interesting backstory behind how that character wound up being gay. Um, Then... Uh, I'll explain that once we get to doing the deep dive on Omar's character. Right. It's very fascinating about how the, the character wound up being gay. So, um, but yeah, uh, so we're probably about time that we wrap up. But before we do wrap right. up, um, just want to give our listeners, which of course, after hearing this, of course, you're going to be loyal because I know you want to break down all these episodes with us. So uh, every episode that we do, from here going forward, again, breaking down a different episode, we're going to go in sequential order. So we're starting with the pilot, season one. Um, that'll be the starting point. And in each of these episodes, we're going to break down uh, different characters, best scenes. And we're also going to um, do winners and losers after every single season. where We'll have our own version of an award show where we'll give out MVPs hey. and six men. Yeah, all of that. Uh, and... <laughs> but maybe my favorite category that I'm looking forward to as we break down every episode is I love this show, but <laughs> mm. I love this show, but what is the right. but, you know, because I yeah. most more often than not, I'm I'm heaping glowing praise. But we you and I've discussed this off air. When you rewatch it, you notice shit. You notice shit you, you didn't do. notice. Yeah. You like the, maybe the first couple times, like you start to you begin to notice some shit. Also, um, as a part of every episode, we're going to give you guys some fun facts you can repeat at parties, a uh, little trivia, little things you didn't know. And so for yo, today, yo. yeah, got to each one teach one. So for today's episode, um, got a couple little tidbits, little things y'all oh, can take with you. Oh, this is a treat. Yeah. It's yeah, a treat for me. It's a treat for realize. you. Okay, yes. let's do it. Look at that. All right, we'll do it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So... Van, I mean, you won't. I won't put you on the spot for everyone, but I feel like this. Put me on the spot. Okay, put you on the spot. Okay, all right. I'm, I live on the spot, dog. You live. On... <laughs> Come on. All right. How many Emmy nominations did The Wire receive? How many p- total? Yeah. In this whole run. In the whole run. Zero. Close. How many? Two. And wow. and they were and they were for they were for writing. Wow! Not a single actor. Nary oh, Golden Globe. Nah, I'll be honest nothing. with you. It's starting to feel like a black show now. <laughs> That's it. That is peak blackness. I take, That's peak blackness. I take, back, I take back everything that I said. The Wire is a black show. If they're like that, changed it right there. No Emmys, no Golden Globes. Mm-mm. Like no, it's a black show. <laughs> uh, the Wire also was the first HBO drama. Ever to be syndicated on BT? Ever? Nah, it's black. It's now. Come on. Now, nah, see, we, we rethink. We gotta see? rethink everything now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought these facts would would help you. Be like, yeah. nah, man. Maybe it really was a black show. Maybe, nah, it was a nah. It was definitely. It was all the way black. One thousand percent. It came on. It, when it probably came on right after Homeboys from Outer Space. It was the lead in for the Wire. It was Homeboys <laughs> from Outer. Shout out to everybody at BT. Y'all know I love y'all. Y'all know I love y'all. 
It was it was no soul food. That's for damn sure. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Homeboys from Outer Space was no damn soul food. Yeah, that was on uh, UPN. But anyway, well, thank you guys for joining us for this uh, very first episode of Way Down in the Hole. Um, again, we're both just super excited about all the things to come uh, with this limited series podcast and all the things we'll discuss. We finally get an opportunity as a community, as a culture, as Wire fans to discuss um, just all the ins and outs of a show that has never truly been appreciated the way that it should that it should have been. And and Van and I, um, I, we look forward to finally bringing the wire. Um, you know, those flowers, that praise, that candy that it was always due. So, um, yep, yep, with, yep. So with that being said, we sign off now, and uh, y'all come back again for us to break down the pilot episode of the wire. <laughs>